I want to read uh, our scripture tonight. This is uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 31. It's a little bit longer than last week, but uh, if you have a Bible, you might want to look there. If not, it's uh, printed for you in the bulletin. This is Genesis 1, 3 to 31. This is the story of creation. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. 
you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. All right, well, if you have uh, your Bible or bulletin, take a look at that passage. We're going to look at the one that I just read to you. It's a little longer than last week, but we are um, continuing in on this series that I don't know how long it's going to be uh, on, uh, on the book of Genesis. I-, I want to not rush it, but I also don't want to belabor it either. But I think uh, Genesis 1 has enough for at least uh, a couple of weeks, and so that's why I decided to, to break it up into two. Um, Tonight, first of all, let's review real quick. Last week, what did we see about God? He's different, right? He's different than everything. He's far above. You know, there is only two categories of things in the universe. There is creator and creature. And there's only one person that occupies the first category. And right there is the basis of all biblical faith. That God is God and we are not. No, nothing else is. Nothing else could compare with him or replace him. And it was Moses, remember, writing this for the first time to the Israelites after they came out of slavery in Egypt while they were in the desert to convince them they needed to look at the world differently than they had, okay? Well, this morning, or this evening rather, um, in this long section, this is basically God coming and introducing himself personally to us. So we saw God was different, and here's God coming to say, hello, my name is God, I am, and he fills in the blank. Uh, Have you ever been to a a work uh, conference or work training where you have to wear those hello, my name is badges, and you have to go around and introduce yourself to so many people, and usually always it's the same formula, right? Hello, my name is Stan, and I'm... Stacy's husband, or hello, my name is Stan, and I'm the pastor of Greater Hope Church, or whatever it is you would put in the blank. But everybody has that little sentence that they would use in a situation like that. In a way, I think we can put this whole chapter in that little kind of sentence about God. It's like God is coming to Israel in the desert and to us, saying, hello, my name is God, And I am the sovereign over the world, ruling by my word. Hello, my name is God, and I'm the sovereign of all the world, ruling by my word. That's the whole point of the creation story, especially there in verses 3 to 31. Uh, I hope to show you that today by um, just pointing out three things from the the verses. Uh, First of all, I want to show you the pattern that's in them. There's a pattern in these verses. Second, I want to show you the result of the pattern. And then lastly, I wanted to spend some time talking about the image at the end. The image that God makes of himself, which is us, human beings. All right, so first let's think about the pattern that uh, this, um, this sets. Did you notice that the, as I read it that the chapter is repetitious? You know, it's a little repetitious, a little bit, you know. Belabored. Um, a lot of people are even led to call this chapter poetry, or poetic at least. And, and I don't think they're wrong, completely wrong in that. I mean, it, it's certainly not completely a poem, but there are poetic aspects to it because every single day of creation, well, first of all, just think about the fact that it's described as a week 
day one, day two, day three, day four. I mean, that in itself is repetitious. But then within each day, there is a certain repetition of things that are happening in terms of the way God creates everything, a very orderly way that God creates. Did you notice what it was? Because it's so important, I think, this pattern. First step of the pattern, God said. Second step of the pattern, and it was so. Third step of the pattern, and it was good. Y'all got that? Every, if you noticed, some of the days are slightly different. You know, you look, for example, at day one, and there is no, um, there is no it was very good in there. But for the most part, those three are found in all the days of creation. God said it was so, and it was good. Not only is this poetry to help you remember the creation story, like a memorable device, but I think also this is a pattern for life. Uh, Later in the Bible, even the fact that God works in a week, six days of work, one day of rest, is brought back up again by God to say, here is why you human beings should work the same way. Do you know that? In, In the commandment about the Sabbath, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh of the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Why, Lord, do we, would we do that? Because the Lord your God made everything in six days and rested on the seventh day and hallowed that day, made it holy. So that, that right there is kind of proof of what I'm saying, that this first uh, creation story is not just meant to be a lovely poetry pattern, but it's meant to be an actual pattern for living. Uh, when I was a kid, and people still do this, I'm sure, I just don't. I haven't, haven't seen these in a while. There used to be little packets at, at Walmart that you would buy. They were patterns to sew things, like you would have a dress in a packet. Do they still have those at Walmart? They do. Okay. I haven't seen them in a long time, but they're these little envelopes, right? At least they used to be. And you would pull out the envelope, and it would have all the patterns you needed to make the dress that was on the front, supposedly. And you would take the pattern out, lay it over the top of the fabric you wanted to use, and you had to cut out... Obviously, you know, cut out the fabric according to the pattern that you laid over the top. That's the kind of pattern I'm talking about here. It's like God made the world in a certain way, and on each day he performed his creation in a certain way to be like a pattern to lay over the top of human life so that we would know how to live. When it says, for example, in day one and two, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good, The pattern that's being laid over our lives is when God speaks and we do it, life's good. If by some chance someone would be so crazy as to hear God speak and not do it, it will, what would you guess? It will not be good. In fact, it'll be very, very bad, which we'll see in Genesis chapter three. Someone was crazy. Adam and Eve, right? They heard what God said clearly. And even though everything God had said had come to pass up to that point, they decided they were going to block it. And it became not so good. The pattern here is one of recognizing the way in which God wants to rule over our lives. God wants to rule over our lives through his word. Uh, You could say it this way. The word of God is 
Well, the Bible calls it a sword. Calls itself a sword, right? Do I mean, you know that? Uh, in, for example, in Ephesians where it talks about the full armor of God, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Bible also calls God's Word a scepter. Maybe you've seen an old painting of a king. He's dressed up all fancy. Big crown, fancy, you know, regal get up. One hand he's got a sword and the other hand he's got a scepter. A big stick with a ball on the top of it. It's a scepter. What do those things symbolize? Power. The scepter symbolizes power to command and the sword symbolizes power to enforce the command. And isn't it cool that, the, that God describes his word in scripture as being a sword and a scepter? The design of human life is supposed to be, the design of all life, all of creation, is supposed to be made according to a pattern. We were designed to hear the word of our creator God as, as if he were our king. And to do what our creator God has told us to do, to think the way he's told us to think, to speak the way he's told us to speak. And when we do, the promise and really all of creation harmonizes with this, everything will be good. When we don't, it won't be good. Pattern. Uh, maybe sometime, I don't know if you're one that likes to highlight in your Bible or underline, you might not. I don't, I don't actually, but some people do, that's fine. Uh, but if you don't, maybe you should print this chapter out and highlight the printed chapter. Highlight every time it says, and God said, and it was so, and it was good. Just look and look at it. It's actually very impressive. It's very impressive the way Moses decided to do this. Now, now let's go back, let's fast forward back into time and think about Moses with the Israelites in the desert training them for the promised land. Why would God, why would God want to communicate to them this pattern? They need to know who he is. Need to know who he is? Yep. And they don't because they've been in a land that was completely foreign to him and was under, you know, the influence of a lot of other gods, right? What else? They have been told what to do all their lives, and now they need someone else to tell them what to do. Yeah, they had Pharaoh and the slave masters to crack the whip on them, and now they need to know that the one that is now wanting to command them is not just Pharaoh, it's the creator, the maker of all things. And they also, this is another detail to this, when they did what the Egyptians told them to do, was it always very good? Isn't that, the, what, what, isn't that the way it is, being a slave to something? You do what it tells you to do because you have to for some reason. You feel either compulsion inside if it's like an addiction or something, or you feel pressure from the outside if it's some kind of oppression or physical slavery. But you do what they tell you because you feel like you have to, but then it turns out to not be very healthy or very good for you. Uh, that must have been in the mindset of the Israelites. Uh, Pharaoh you know, told them, make more bricks, but here's less straw than you got last year. That's part of that, that uh, Exodus story. So to carry out the commands of their former master was actually misery. And so part of, the, part of the burden of Genesis chapter 1 is to show if you trust this God, if you'll follow this God, 
Trust me, and you do what he says, trust me, it'll turn out good. It'll, be, it'll go well for you. It will not be like it was before where you got duped or you got oppressed or tricked or forced into more painful and um, you know, miserable situations. Isn't that good? Sometimes it's good when you're reading Genesis to remember that original context. Um, and I'm going to mention it a lot as we go through the book. Uh, that, that original context of a slave, enslaved people, newly set free, having to relearn life. And, and the reason why that's so important is not just because it's historically interesting, because uh, although it is, I think, um, it's also important because we have to relearn life, don't we? Don't we need to relearn life? What are, what are some of the reasons why we need to relearn life from God? We're new creatures now. Yeah. What else? We're used to hearing other voices. We inherit the sinful patterns of our parents and those around us to influence, influence us and we need the yeah. shepherd's voice. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not to mention that, but I've spent a lot of my life convincing myself that my ideas were the best ideas. <laughs> do, you, do you have that is issue sometimes? My ideas are the best ideas, you know? I'm cool with my ideas. And so I need some retraining as a Christian to learn that, no, uh, there is a way that seems right unto a man. But the end of it is folly or the end of it is death, it says in Proverbs. So some of my ideas aren't very good ones, actually, in actual fact. <laughs> but God's ideas, God's words are, because look at how, what happened. Everything that you see around you, all of creation exists because God's word he had an idea that he expressed in a word. And so when God has an idea for my life that he expresses in a word, I can trust that it's going to lead it to good things. That's the pattern. Uh, if you could think about this, what is the pattern you're living your life by? Um, what are you laying down over the top of your life and cutting everything else out to fit? Think about that. You don't have to give me an answer right now, but just think about it. It's a great question. Um, sometimes we'll find that other things are providing the pattern besides God, besides his sovereign word. All right. That's the first thing. The second thing that we see from these verses is the result of the pattern, the result of the pattern. Now, you might say, well, you already told us it's that everything was good. Yeah, but everything was good in a certain way that I want you to see, okay? And this is really cool, and I kind of wish I had a board to draw on, but maybe you guys can draw and write as I describe it for yourself without a board because I forgot to bring a board. Um, do you remember what it said in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 2? If you don't remember, you could look at it if you have a Bible. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was... Without form and void. It was formless and it was empty. And that was like a rhyming word, kind of like willy-nilly. You know, everything was just not quite the way it was supposed to be until God hovered over the water and started making things happen. Well, each day, not only is there this pattern of God said it was so and it was good, but the way in which it gets good is by remedying those two problems. Uh, first, in the first three days, God remedies the formless problem. 
in three steps. And then in the last three days, days uh, four, five, and six, God remedies the empty problem or the void problem in three steps. You may have never noticed this. Maybe you have noticed this, but it's kind of like this. You know, when, you, when you're trying to have a play or a, or a concert, there are two different things you might do. You have to first set the stage, right? You got to put the, you know, all the, what do you call those? Back, backgrounds, what do you call them? Somebody help me. Props. Props, set dressing. Yes, all those things. My mind was going blank. You got to do all that, but then you got to have something else very key in order to have a play or a concert. What do you got to have? People, actors, players, uh, yeah, script. Uh, you got to have something to put into the space that you have decorated to make it look like some other space, right? And that's exactly what God does here. This is why one theologian calls creation God's theater. God's theater. Uh, because God in days one, one through three sets the stage, which he then fills with actors in days four through six. So how does he set the stage? Uh, day one, he first uh, begins by separating light from dark. Light from dark. Uh, the dark he called night, the light he called day. That's a pretty essential thing if you think about it. Uh, what would the world be like if there were no light and dark? I can't even answer. I mean, yeah, I don't know how to answer that question even, right? Because it's so, I mean, you think about how, how basic light, light and darkness is to the whole world. I don't even know what to think to, to imagine a world without light or dark. And so the first thing God does to remedy the problem of, of formlessness is he begins to set boundaries, and you'll notice in every one of the first three days, God sets boundaries. One thing is separated from another. And here he takes the darkness, which had been over the face of the deep, it told us in, in verse 2, and he separates it out from this new thing that he's called into existence called light. And he gives the light a certain realm in which to run, a certain space, that's daytime, and he gives the darkness a certain space in which to run, that's nighttime. And the nighttime can't go over into the daytime zone and the, day, you know, and the day can't go over into the nighttime zone. There's a strict separation. There's two spaces. Got that? And then on day two, he does the same thing. He does two spaces that he separates, which are the spaces. It's, it's more like this. Yeah, water from water using an expanse. Uh, called heaven, or, or what, um, you know, the, instead of expanse, the old King James called it the firmament. The firmament. Uh, and basically, what is the firmament or the expanse? Atmosphere. The atmosphere. Basically, the what we would call the atmosphere, right? And there's a hard separation. Uh, and so the waters above, we would probably call that space. And the waters below, we would call earth. And in between is the atmosphere of the earth, right? Here, here he calls it heaven. The waters above the expanse is heaven. The waters below the expanse is earth. And so, uh, which, which obviously also makes sense. Uh, how hard is it to leave the earth's atmosphere? You, you can't do it in an airplane. You can't do it in a car. You can't jump through it. You got to, you'd literally have to have a rocket to do it going really, really fast. And even though you have a rocket, it, it 
it's pretty intense, I've heard, to go pass through the Earth's atmosphere. Everything just shakes and rattles. Because there has always been, by God's design, a strict separation between one and the other. When you get on the other side of the firmament, when you get up into space, how easy is it for humans to survive up there? Very difficult. The conditions for life are not very good. And so you have to do all kinds of modifications to even live a short time up there. But below that, that thing, how, how easy is it for us to live? We're doing it. And it's not that hard to, to keep existing, right? Um, that, that shows you, again, a place where God made one space and then another space, and the division between them couldn't be crossed. Catching it? Uh, day three, same deal. He separates two things. What are the two things? Seas and dry land, or earth and sea. Um, he sets the boundaries for each. Uh, the, the seas can't come over into the earth's uh, area, and the earth doesn't encroach onto the seas area. There is sea and there is earth. Uh, that's the way it's been from the start. Uh, now, of course, tides change, and you know the, the, the boundary between the two does shift a little bit, but it shifts within a very well-defined range. Uh, except for, of course, the exception of the flood, which uh, we read about in you know, chapter 6 where God allowed the sea to cover the whole thing, right? But in general, God has created this boundary between sea and dry land, two spaces that he's then going to go and fill. So it, by the time you get to day four, God has, God has turned a formless creation into a formed creation. He's turn, turned a, a shapeless place into a place with spaces and shapes and divisions and, and separations. And then he turns around in days uh, four, five, and six to fill those with things, with creatures. Uh, so you can look at it for yourself. We won't go into all the detail, but um, you know he starts with the um, <clears throat> he starts uh, in day four with the lights, the great lights. So he gives one big light to rule the day, this period of light, and he gives another little light to rule the period of darkness, the sun and the moon. Uh, I love, by the way, how it says it there in verse 16. This is another indication that Moses is really trying to like attack the false gods of the Egyptians. Uh, Egyptians worship the sun and the moon and the stars. And look at how it says it. Very cool. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and yeah, by the way, also the stars. Isn't that neat? Uh, he shows, just in the way he states it, it shows just how um, easy it was for God to make all this stuff that the other people worship. The nations are worshiping things that Israel's God just sort of throws out there with almost no effort. Oh yeah, by the way, he threw a bunch of stars out there. And especially with what we know today with how many stars there are and all that, it's just an amazing thing to think about. God just, with one stroke of the hand, one word of his mouth, sending the stars to their places uh, to help fill and rule over that space that he had separated in day one. Uh, and then in day five, he, he fills what he created in day two. He puts creatures in the sea. He puts birds up in the air. So the sea and the sky are both filled with different kinds of creatures. And then in day six, he fills what he had done in day three. Uh, he fills the dry land with all kinds of creatures, uh, culminating, of course, in human beings. 
So you get two big, you know, so in those days, God, what God is doing is he's um, going against the problem of emptiness or void. So he fixed the problem of form and now he fixed the problem of emptiness. Those are the six days. And basically what they teach is a couple of different principles about God that are really important and I think very helpful for us today. Let me tell you the first one. Uh, God is a God of order, not confusion. God is a God of order, not confusion. Peace and order. Every person needs God's order in their life. Creation would fall apart were it not for God's order. Before God brought his order, creation could best be described as formless and it, chaotic. When God brought his order, all the stage had been set for all of life and all of history to take place. You say, why is that important? Well, let me, let me kick that question back to you. And you can give me an answer or two. Why do we need to know today that God is a God of order and peace and not confusion? Yeah. So say a little bit more, Bob. Why? What do you mean? Well, he did these things and it was good. And that's a pattern for us. Mm-hmm. He says we don't follow it. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we, when we violate God's order or we ignore God's order, what can we expect? Confusion and chaos. When we try to confuse things that God has divided and separated, and we try to mix and, and confuse things that God has made separate, we have a big problem on our hands. Right? Can you give me an example of where we may try to do that? Male and female. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Um, you know, and, and our point in speaking about, you know, gender confusion in our culture shouldn't be simply to win a culture war or something like that or to score points on people. And, and certainly it should not be to hurt people that are truly struggling in their heart. However, it must be said that what God has ordered must be respected or else the consequences are extraordinarily bad. Extraordinarily bad. And we see it right here in the passage, verse 27. In the image of God, he created humanity. Male and female, he created them. Um, God, gender is not simply a social construct. It's not something that human beings came up with. Uh, Some aspects of gender, certainly, are human creations and could be, you know, done away with in one culture and brought in in another, right? Every, every culture varies a little bit in terms of what is male and what is female behavior. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in general, male and female is God's idea. And without respecting that and living fully out into that, we run ourselves into a whole heap of trouble uh, that we should not want to run ourselves into. It's not good for people. Um, th- this is important, not, again, not to score points on people, but because we, we ought to be able to represent a saner way of viewing these things than the world does. Um, the world doesn't seem to have a very sane way of viewing these things, where confusing genders is seen not just as something that's allowed, but as something that actually is good for people. You know, and, and that is not true. 
Because God is a God of order, not of confusion. A God of peace, not of chaos. Make sense? It's really, you can apply that to any issue. That's just one issue that I think it applies to pretty pointedly. Um, you can apply that to even, you know, the issue of, you know, is it good to have, you know, order in society? Is it good to have rules? Is it good for everyone to agree to follow those rules? And yeah, of course. Why? Because God's a God of order. The world was designed to run in an orderly fashion, not in a chaotic fashion. The second thing you see about God is not only is he a God of order, but he's generous. Uh, he's very generous. Uh, all the rich diversity of the world, uh, did you notice how everything was made according to its kind? This and that and the other, according, everything according to its kind. God made all the various kinds because he wanted to fully express just how giving, generous, and wealthy he is in himself. So he made a whole bunch of stuff. He didn't have to make that many things and that many kinds of things, but he did to display how rich his heart is and, and how much he cared for what was going to go on on this tiny little planet. And so he blessed it and crowned it with all this diversity. But yet the diversity doesn't take away the unity. Again, God never, doesn't cease to be a God of order, even though there's a whole bunch of diversity. Everything kind of works together. Um, the animals, according to their kind, help the, you know, the, the birds, according to their kind, help the fish, according to their kind. Everything is kind of in an ecosystem together that God has designed. Everything depending on everything else, including human beings. So not only is God orderly, but God is also generous giving. Uh, we ought to respect as Christians the generosity of God and creation. We ought to value creation. Uh, we ought to value um, the variety that's found in creation. Uh, we ought to take care of creation and not abuse it where we have responsibility to do that. Uh, also, we ought to recognize you can't reduce everything down to one thing. This is a little bit of a, of a philosophical point and might, you don't know, you might not like it, but it's just something that I thought of. You, you can't reduce everything down to one thing. The world is created by God to be many things, right? There are animals, there are sea creatures, there are birds. Same thing in, in human life. Uh, there is so much that is true about life that must be respected. You can't say all of life is about X, Unless that X is God, right? Um, and yet what I see in the history of the world is people trying to say all of life is about X and X is not God. Uh, example. Um, well, I mean, think about this. The communist movement. It said, uh, Karl Marx, you know, when he wrote his book said, all of life is about economics, uh, in this world, there are workers and then there are people who own the capital. And the people who own the capital are always oppressing the workers. And all of history is moving to a place when the workers will unite and rise up to take over the capital. And finally, we'll be in a perfect world because workers will control the capital and not be controlled by it. All of life is about economics, Marx said. What were the results of that? Sadness, oppression, terribleness, you know. Uh, it's not that Marx didn't have any good points. I mean, certainly there is such a thing as oppression of capital over labor. I mean, that certainly is real. Uh, but it's not 
Everything can't be reduced to that. Do you see? Hitler said, everything is reduced to one thing. He kind of went the opposite direction of Marx, right? But he did the same thing. He said, everything is reduced to race and everything is reduced to nationality. That's what it's all about. What happened there? Um, Freud said, everything's about sex. Everything is about sex. What happened there? Uh, every time people have tried to reduce the world down to one thing that's not God, they've ended up hurting other people and using it as an excuse to hurt other people. As Christians, we have an ability based on God's creational design to bring a sane point of view into the world and to say, no, sex is a real thing. Economics is a real thing. Nationality is a real thing. And they're even important things, but they're not the thing. The thing is God, from which all those things flow. And all those things must be interacted with and understood from God's point of view, right? And basically, it's the opposite of idolatry. Because what, uh, what Marx was doing, what Hitler was doing, what Freud was doing, and so many others, was just simply worshiping an idol. You know, taking one little thing in creation and making it a god rather than recognizing it as one of the many things that comes from the rich um, generosity of God into the world. Is that too philosophical? No. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping that, you know, you would appreciate it. Um, it's something that I've thought about a little bit uh, just, just because I like to think about those kinds of things. And so the, the main question for us, though, on a daily level is, um, again, how you view the world matters. How you view the world matters. And um, I, I'm afraid sometimes for us as Christians, we're viewing the world more from the other voices we're listening to in the world rather than from God. And I think that's always been a problem. But I think it's definitely a problem today. And the more and more we cut ourselves off from Scripture as Christians, the more and more that will happen. You know, we won't be very distinct. And, so, and that was the problem in Moses' day, which is why he's writing this. Um, somebody famously said, it didn't take very long to take Israel out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of Israel. And that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't take long for God to bring us out of the world and save us, but it takes a long time to get the world out of us. And the only way that can happen is by learning to see the world from God's point of view. The world is a theater. God has formed the spaces in an orderly way and he's filled them in a, diver in a diverse way based on his generosity. And we've got to recognize that. All right, I'm, I've talked too much. Third thing, the image. Uh, I, I'm not leaving enough time for this, but uh, there at the end, uh, I love how God stops in, in day six and the only creature that he actually stops to have a conversation with himself about is yours truly, human beings. Us. Notice what he says. Uh, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over everything. So God created man, male and female, in his own image. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, this was another thing that uh, Moses was attacking Pharaoh over. Um, in the Egyptian mentality, there was only one image of God on earth. Guess who he was? Pharaoh. 
And that, that was, that's been true of a lot of human cultures. Uh, the king was the image of God or the gods. Everybody else wasn't. Everybody else just was, you know, there to make the king great, basically. Uh, God is saying, nope, that's not the way the world works. Every human being, because they were created by God, is in the image of God. Pharaoh and all the rest. All of you are in the image of God. And what makes you in the image of God is a few things. First of all, God's plan. God said, let us make. God shows that he had thought about making humanity long before he did. Let us make. He had 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 a counsel with himself about making people. It's also because of God's pattern. I'm going to make you like me in some way. I'm going to give you not, not physical characteristics that are like me, because God's not a physical being, but I'm going to give you some kind of spiritual characteristics that are like me so that you can relate to me, so that you can reflect me. And then the third thing is God's purpose. Uh, I'm going to lead mankind out to have dominion over the world. I, you know, I'm the king of the world, God says, but I'm going to have vice kings, vice regents. Uh, who are going to learn how to rule from me and alongside of me over the world. This is where human dignity comes from. Right here. Notice this. It does not say about humanity, God made them after their kinds. Like it does about the animals. Because there aren't kinds of humans. There is one kind of humans made in the image of God. Right? Right? Only one kind of of person made in God's image. There's not kinds. Um, You know, race, ethnicity, all those things are not unimportant, but they're they're not kinds of different humans. There's one kind made in the image of God. The dignity doesn't come from where you come from or what your skin looks like or any of those types of things. Your dignity comes from whom you come from. And that applies to every person. I could say so much more about that but our time is up. We'll get back to it next week as we uh, continue in Genesis.